Guys, I heard that Barca were more than just a club, but I didn't know that meant that they were an un unethical club. <laughs> Sorry, Boti. Uh, that was not the most nice of intros, but welcome back to You Can't Podcast With Kids. Um, yeah, I can't sorry. remember. I can't actually do this week. I need to. I need to <laughs> go. Yeah. I'm sorry, Boaty Fence. Club you. that was like one of the last major clubs to have a shirt sponsor that had UNICEF on the shirt of their best ever team. <laughs> Who would, would do this? You know what is this? I mean, um, sabotaging your own players doesn't sound like a great charity work, does it? But anyway, Boaty Penta, you're not going anywhere today. How are you? Good. I feel like I've been placed under arrest by the Catalan police. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Uh, you will I'm submit sad questioning again. for at least an hour. Yeah. Um, nice to be with you guys. <laughs> how are you today? Yeah, I'm very well, Lawrence. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Oh, Ashwin no Ulak, how are you today? I'm okay. Thank you, Lawrence. Thank you for... Um... Um, hosting the hosting this one, yeah, I'm 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 not too bad. Nice to see a good result on the weekend, and yeah, a good weekend of football to talk about. Excited for um, next week and and continuing on with the European matches as well. I I hear that you've been watching the Pakistani Super League. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, the cricket, you know, g give us a quick twenty seconds if anyone wants to. Yeah, so as usual, the Karachi. Karachi's doing quite well. Um, Lahore, who have been quite mercurial, um, no, Lahore, who have been quite mercurial, um, are actually playing quite well. They're a bit inconsistent, but they're like the Pakistani side internationally in that they can just turn up on the day and beat anyone. Um, and they, they played a brilliant game uh, the other day against Karachi that went to the final over. It was a really exciting chase. Um, yeah, but overall, Karachi, Lahore, Islamabad look quite strong. Mm. Um, and the, the standard of cricket has been quite high. The fielding's been below par on occasion especially some really weird drop drop catches but other than that in terms of bowling yorkers or just hitting out the park it's been great cricket and i'm happy for pakistan that they get to play cricket at home again what, what time are the games like can i is, yeah is you it... can it's just uh four hours ahead ish so throughout the normal uh, afternoon and evening here yeah like like the ipl basically oh, that's not too bad i might watch it then yeah it's just they stream a lot of them on youtube sky cricket do they're just on the sky cricket channel otherwise as well oh sounds good all right it's a nice, nice cricket segue. But we will go on to the Premier League fixtures, or results, I should say. Um, the first result we will cover, Spurs for Burnley nil. Spurs are back, question mark. Callum? Yeah, um, it was like a quite comprehensive performance from Spurs. I think like it would be quite easy to get carried away. Like It's one game, as always. And it was also one of those games where Spurs got some early goals and then basically the other team like, stopped playing and just like, oh, don't score 10, please. Um, yeah, but yeah, it was nice to see Bale play well as well, which was good. Yeah, Bale, he's had seven goal involvements in his last four appearances for Spurs, so that's four goals and three assists. Ashwin, do you think he's reaching the kind of level we all expected from the start of the season? Um, well, it depends. Were you expecting, you know, 2013 Bale to come back or Bale at San Siro to come back? Because if you were, then no, your, your expectations will be frustrated. But, but he had that one. Well, he had that one moment, like after yeah. about ten minutes, where he just sprinted past the defender, just knocked yeah. it past. I think the point is that he can't do that, you know, ten times a game anymore, and he might not even be able to do it every single game. But you know, if you were kind of being more realistic about it, and you're expecting a 
world-class or at least formerly world-class player that has had a rest for a long time hasn't played that much football but still has the fundamentals to be a brilliant player and still has a brilliant football mind you'll be satisfied with you know this performance he's taken some time to get his you know feet beneath him and to get steady and he's had a bit of weird altercations with the manager in the media but you know this was an encouraging performance from a Spurs perspective and you know all those who triple captained him in their Fancy Premier Team are vindicated. Calvin <laughs> that, that's only one person in the entire world, and he's friend of the pod, Calvin. Uh, he's very, very smug about it in, in the group chat. Fifty-seven points. Oh my god. On Bale alone, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous, and he's got a second fixture to go. Um, Bale's second goal, I thought, was really, really nice. Kind of a Iron Robin like shot, um, left left-footed into the far corner. Um, Boti, has Mourinho let the handbrake go? And is this going to be what he's like in so like in his next match against Fulham? Is he just going to go with uh, with five attackers again? Or do you think this is a one-off? He's going to go back to his Jose roots. Yeah, I mean, against Fulham, probably. I would hope so. As a neutral, it's what I want to see. It'll bring more goals. Um, but probably we'll have a, we'll have a little spell of this uh, different style from Mourinho, and then he'll revert, as he always does. Um, but yeah, I, I much prefer this Tottenham. <laughs> this Tottenham to the one we've seen in the last... Uh, oh, really? You don't yeah. like the Spurs that don't score any goals against, like, one <laughs> against Brighton? Um, no, yeah, I agree with you. I think this is a much better... I think if, you, if you're if you Jose Mourinho, um, like, to not go attacking against Burnley is, like, just... just you know, complete disaster, to be honest. Like, it's the one team where you need to actually be on the front foot. Otherwise, you know, Bernie can just, like, float the ball in behind your midfield and, and score, like, a goal and uh, take the game away from you. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see if Jose is a, a madman. I thought the highlight of this sort of match for me was, I don't know if you guys saw the exchange between Roy Keane and Jamie Redknapp on, uh, on Sky Sports after the game. Um Roy Keane saying that Spurs have a crap squad um, without uh, Kane and Son. Um, to which Re- Jamie Redknapp replied, well, they've got a lot of international players, so they must be good. To which Roy Keane said, if you can trap a ball, you can play for your national team. <laughs> Ashley, I mean, give, give us your thoughts. Well, I mean, if, it depends what kind of country you're from. If you're from, like, Germany... Um, you know, it's very hard to get into your national team. But if you're, you know, from a smaller nation, of course, then the degree of difficulty is a lot easier. I don't think it's very sensible to measure in um, the quality of the team by the number of international caps, because certain teams will take, you know, any Premier League talent they can get their hands on, um, certain countries rather, because they just don't have that much to call upon. Um, so I don't know if that's entirely the best metric. I think Roy Keane, in that situation, didn't fully believe what he was saying. I think he was rattling Jamie Redknapp and he succeeded. Yeah, he's winding people up. Yeah, That's what he does. But, but I think, you know, I think it is true to say that beyond Kane and Son, Spurs look definitely far more average. All of their players peaked like five years ago, um, especially those defensively. And in terms of goalkeeper, Alderweireld, and, you know, people like Deli Ali, who seemed mercurial like three or four years ago, are just completely off the scene now. So I think he was right in some of those points. Is it as bad as he says, you know, the fact that they're just bang average without Kane and Son? I don't think necessarily so. You know, they've got some good players like Lucas Moura, but they're definitely not a Champions League or maybe even not a Europa League side without Kane and Son. Um, and those two are, are really important to the team. 
So yeah, Lucas Moore is a nice segue into what I'm about to bring up. My favorite moment of the game was when Son and Bale were doing their W celebrations, which they've been doing for a few weeks now uh, for that child at a uh, hospital. And uh, Lucas Moura came and started doing L's into the camera. And uh, uh, Bale wasn't very happy about it. That's an absolute disaster. What are you doing? God, that's more embarrassing than Jesse Lingard. Um, anyway. What's this thing that Haaland does with his hands when he scores goals? Because it's not like that, but it's like not like that. And, and he just seems to be doing something and it looks wrong. Ashwin, Ashwin. They can't Thank see you. that on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. for, the, for the benefit of listeners, I did the Deli Alley fingers across the um, forehead and I did the uh, W. Um, and Harlan's thing, if you look at it, it's like some weird, some weird like mashup and it just looks a bit, it looks like I it's I mean, wrong. he looks really weird. I'm just going to say, his celebration. As a person. I mean, yes, but also his, cele- his celebration is quite. It's sort of, I said last time, it's kind of like a, like, I don't know, I, I don't know how to describe like a, a really tall monkey, who like sort of just like stumbling about. Um, it's really weird. I, I did prefer his Zen celebration, I'll be honest. Yeah, it's one. like the classic thing, like your dad believes that every cele- every strike should only celebrate like Alan Shearer running gently with one <laughs> hand in the air and everything else is excessive and deserves a yellow card. Yeah, pr- no, I, I think I can agree with that. Um I mean, I did have a fondness for Rooney's celebration, like the kiss up into the air. I thought that was really nice. Um, but, you know, I'm biased. Uh, but, yeah, um, I think going back to the Red Nap Keen discussion, or just complete, like, anarchy, um, as Jimmy Ford Hasselbank in the background tried to hang on, um, Roy King did, didn't seem to rate Sergio Regulon. And in my opinion, Callum, I don't know about you, he's the second best left back in the league after, you know, obviously yours, Robertson. Yeah, I think it's one of those where, like, he's not really been around. It doesn't feel like he's been around for very long. Like, for me, as, like, an English football fan, I feel like I just haven't really seen that much of him, if that makes sense. But I think definitely, like, he's coming on and, like, Real didn't really want to let him go, did they, permanently? So that's obviously a sign that they've seen something in him too. From what I've seen of Regulon, and the standard of left backs isn't, like, great in the Premier League. Yeah. I'd say that he's definitely up there. And I don't know how like playing in a Mourinho team potentially flatters him as well. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> Mourinho just absolutely dug into to Matt Doherty for just no reason. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> um, he's a he's a he's a savage. He is uh, Roy Keane, but I guess that's good television, right? Um, onto something that wasn't such great television: Chelsea v United. Although, right, I'd say as nil nil draws go, Callum, that wasn't the worst. That I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, there were shots, which is like more than it feels like we used to say about United like three or four years ago when they had like Van Hart on Mourinho. But it was like pretty dull and I didn't really feel like there was like that, there were like a couple of incidents, but it felt like it was about when you talk about it afterwards, we we're talking about like the referees rather than the players, which is always a yeah, shame. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned, I mean, the highlight of the game was the post match press conferences. To give you guys some context if you haven't seen, there was an incident. Um, during the game, United thought they should have had a penalty because the ball hit Callum Hudson-Odoi's arm. Um, the referee didn't give it at the time, but then VAR sort of intervened and said, referee, you should look at the monitor. The referee still didn't give it, um, to the much to the you know unhappiness of the United players. 
but then after the game, Luke Shaw said that he thought he heard Maguire, the referee say to Maguire, I wouldn't, have, I, I didn't give that penalty, be, not because it wasn't a penalty, but because it would cause too much fuss. Now, United have said that Luke Shaw misheard that conversation between Maguire and the referee. It's a bit of, bit of craziness here, that, and I'm really all for it. Ashwin? Well, I mean, on first things first, right, I don't think it was a penalty. I think it was a handball, and the people in the comms box agreed. So that's just the first thing. That's just my opinion on I think um, it was Greenwood, I think, and his hand was away from his body, so I don't think that was a penalty. I mean, it um, hit Greenwood's arm after it hit Callum Hudson-Odoi's arm, and Callum Hudson-Odoi's arm was in a non-natural position. Mm. So, I don't know. I feel like okay, it was yeah, Either way, right, okay, yeah. let, okay, that's the penalty debate. Moving past that... Um, you should ask Harry Maguire what, what the ref said to him. I don't know why no one's done that. Because Luke Shaw was reporting on what Harry Maguire had said to the ref. So just ask Harry Maguire what was said straight up. I don't know why no one's done that. And if United are coming out and condemning, or, or sorry, trying to, rewire, um, trying to correct Luke Shaw, then either they feel that Luke Shaw's comments are a truth that will be overly damaging, which is plausible, or they believe that Luke Shaw got the wrong end, wrong end of the stick, which is also plausible. So that needs to be clarified. So I think just asking Harry Maguire might might shine a light on that. Um, and then the issue would be like, well, if the ref didn't give it because of public outcry, then obviously that's the wrong thing to do. You're supposed to make the decision on its own terms. But but having said that, the de- death threats related to Mike Dean and 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 similar, you know, pressure on referees can make it a difficult climate. Um, However, you know, I, I think that the standard of refereeing is pretty shocking, quite broadly. Lee Mason had a shocking game um, for in the Brighton-West Brom game. Um, I think overall the standard of English refereeing is quite poor. Um, when I watched the Liverpool-Leipzig game away at Leipzig, it was um, the first leg, 1-2-0. That game, I even commented on just straight up, just not even before I even analysed any of the players or the tactics. I just said the refereeing was really good because I'd not seen refereeing of that standard in a long time because I, you know, watching English football. And in terms of solutions for that for that issue of you know referees um, and th- their you know ability to make the wrong decision, misuse the technology, whatever we've seen it, it's a litany of errors. Often, I think we need some more public accountability for referees. I think we need post-match interviews for them. Just ask them questions like we ask players. Why not? It, football's a theatre. It's an entertainment industry. You know they should be asked questions. They're part of the cast as much as anyone else. And it's wrong for them to be you know um, it's wrong for fans who are the you know the main customers of the game to be deprived of that element of theatre like they'd enjoy watching a, a a tv presenter argue with a referee i think i think it's just it's a spectator sport um, yeah chris chris Hudson uh, said on bbc radio 5 that he thought that the referees were quite good but it might be time to uh, microphone them up so i disagree order- with that entirely because as i said in um, one of the, the facebook football groups i'm in um on like a uh, a post about this a thread I basically just said that, you know, it, you, it, it, it has a broadcasting. You're going to end up with commentators apologizing like every two minutes in football. There's too much like bad language and too much dissent towards referees from players in particular. Like it's not a good look at all if you have, you know, just choose a random, you know, good player. I don't know, Mohamed Salah or Kevin De Bruyne, you know, swearing at the rare. Which we see Salah them do doesn't the swear at the rare. Okay, whatever. Which he we see players nice. of their caliber. No, Bruno Fernandes. We see players of their caliber do all the time, right? If not them in particular, fine. Um, I'm seeing them doing it on TV and you know putting their arms out by their side and whatever is very different to hearing them. 
it's not like rugby or cricket where you can mic up the umpires or the refs because you know players aren't going to show dissent and you can hear the refs' decision-making. In football, you can pick up bad language often. And I personally have no issue with that, right? But it, it, the issue with that is it's a, a game that's broadcast during the day on weekends and on, on weekdays, it's broadcast before nine o'clock. And you can't just have bad language on that, you know, from a broadcasting point of view. Um, and, and the culture of football in terms of showing dissent to referees just means that it's impossible to, to have them mic'd up, in my opinion. Interesting. Um, Boti, I would, I wonder what your thoughts were. I would have thought that if you're worried about swear words and stuff, um, and if we all accept that sort of showing dissent towards the referee in an aggressive manner is wrong, why don't we just start imposing fines from people who swear and abuse referees? I don't know what you think. I'm I'm in the same boat as Ashwin. I mean, it, it's I think it's a fundamental change to football. It, I mean, it can be done, um, but you know, it's it's strange. It's it's something that um, you know, growing up in Sunday league, it's something. It, it it is something that you experience even as early as the age of ten when you, you have these little kids shouting at the ref, getting told off. It's um, it, it's a question of do we do we want to change this? It's it's a global question, obviously, because football's not just isn't it, Boti? Sorry, the cultural issue. Yeah, it's it's a globe. It's a it's a global issue, and you know, if if it's if it's going to have to come centrally from FIFA, changing the rules of football, making dissent like this, you know, punishable by a yellow card or whatever it would be. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I don't think it's necessary. Uh, sorry, from I from think... my experience as a youngster playing Sunday League, I have to say it wasn't the players that were... It was more the parents that were, like, aggressively shouting at referees. It's um, the passion. It's the it's passion. <laughs> classic when the parent gets sent off the sideline for being yeah, overly, exactly. overly aggressive. Like, I reckon we've all had that manager when we were really young that took, like... Just playing for your school just way too seriously. Like on a 14 B team. The, the just... phrase that pops to mind before a game, especially before big games. Make your presence known, yeah, Let them know you're there. Let them know you're, you're putting that first tackle, a ruthless first tackle. I, I, no, I don't say my, end of the day, right? Lawrence, I mean, yeah. I, I, all I've got to say is it, it, you could maybe stop dissent if you make it like an in game in-game you know issue immediate red card for swearing at the ref but that's never going to be done um so you know i i don't know i guess that's fair enough um my, my favorite phrase to shout while playing junior football is just like it's still nil nil like if you're four nil up you still go it's nil nil boys it's nil nil play it um but yeah uh good times good times uh those those times. Yeah, that's, that's the absolute that's the absolute shit housery when you're you're eleven nil up. It's still nil boys. <laughs> you're at the boys. Um, but I never abuse the referee. I have to say, I, it's kind of weird to me. Um, maybe because I'm like overly British. It's kind of like don't argue with authority. Um, but yeah, it's so appropriate deference. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, Callum, on to the actual football action. Um, question I'd like to pose to you. United against the top six this season. They've played seven. They've won zero, drawn five, lost two. And they've only scored one goal. And that was in the 6-1 defeat to Spurs. Um, what's going wrong? Because I swear, like, last season, United were beating teams left, like, big teams left, right and centre. Yeah, it's a very interesting question. And if I'm honest with you, I don't really know the answer. 
um, is definitely like somewhere in the setup. And I don't think whether it's like the players are not performing in the game as well. I don't feel like they're going out for a nil-nil draw necessarily. Like they're not all like some of them are, but like like the Spurs game for example, they played awfully the one where they got beaten six-one or whatever. Um, but like the other games, they seem to be like almost they play similarly as they normally do. They just don't really get the ball into the goal. I think. It's yeah, odd. I mean that that will that 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 will hurt you if you can't get the ball in the goal. Yeah. I think you're onto something with the setup. I think from what I've seen of United. Um, Ole seems to sort of rotate between midfield pairings, but against big teams, he always goes with Fred McTominay and Centre Mid, who aren't the best on the ball, who are more likely to do dog work and mark players than they are to create chances and score goals, uh, which kind of like hinders the attacking fluency of the whole team. It hasn't helped, obviously, that Bruno Fernandes has not performed in those big games. He's got, I think, yeah, one goal involvement. Um, against the top six this season. But there's only been one goal. Yeah, exactly. But um, I, if we don't score, it's basically Bruno's fault uh, for a United fan. Um, the, the the issue really is um, that you know, Ole seems to be a little bit scarred by the 6-1 defeat at Old Trafford very early in the season. Um, and therefore, he's sort of set up in a more defensive manner. And I think when you look at the teams, the other teams, the big six teams that play against United because they got bitten last season. Like I remember, you know, City getting destroyed on the counter. Um, Ch- uh, Chelsea losing, obviously, like 4-0 on the opening day of the season. Like they're setting up more defensively against United. And I think that's leading to these kind of nil-nil, one-nil games, really. Um, I think also that they have the players who can take Fernandes out of the game. Mm-hmm. Like I think once you, if you, especially once you've got like Fred McTominay playing and then you'll play the top six te- the big six teams who can take like somewhat take Fernandez out of the game just kind of completely neutralizes you because you've got no one else who will like appear forwards in that role when he's like just marked off the ball yeah that, that's exactly and I think United because they've lacked attacking fluency at a, for a long time this season um they've relied on individual moments from players like Bruno and it's obviously harder yeah. to just create something out of nothing uh against a big team. Because as you say, for example, N'Golo Kante had a fantastic game and he really snuffed out Bruno Fernandes in this game. Ashwin? I think against the top six, you can really see the type of player that Bruno is in that he can produce a moment of brilliance from a set piece or even just when he's not closed down on the edge of the box. But other than that, you know, he's not, in, he's not an elite ball player. He's not an elite um, creator. Um, he certainly misses, you said this a lot, Lawrence, like he misses 10 or 15 easy passes per game. And um, I think, you know, that's exposed more when he's against the top six. You might give him fewer opportunities from set pieces who have better defensive midfielders that can run. Less time on the ball. Yeah, and yes, less time on the ball who can, you know, show his technical, his technical ability under even more strain because, you know, he's under pressure from being closed down. And I think that as those def- um, deficiencies in his game are shown up against the big side. And that explains, you know, more broadly throughout his career, you know, he's never had an appearance in the Champions League knockout, I think. Um, so, you know, it explains why he's not really reached the heights of 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 um, some of the heights that you would expect someone with his record to reach, um, his record on paper. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that, that, that that's quite interesting because you give him a chance from the, from the penalty spot or from a free kick situation, like he can produce a moment of brilliance. 
but do you trust him to like link up play for 90 minutes keep the ball moving he's not that kind of player yeah i think i think bruno although he's been so instrumental to united's success this season his weaknesses are quite obvious like he'll try a random like crossfield ball and either it's just the wrong option or he doesn't have the technical ability to find it sometimes um i do think he's an exceptional player but i think he's not as great as some of the pundits might have you believe if you watch bruno for 90 minutes often you'll wind up quite frustrated at his um his ability to just give away the ball even in like his own half um but yeah uh I guess this isn't a terrible point for both sides. Um, on to the next game. Sheffield United, they lost again. Uh, Liverpool beat them 2-0. The player I want to focus in on is the player who got the first goal in this game, Curtis Jones. No player had more touches inside the box than him. Uh, six in total. Uh, he had a 96% pass completion rate in this game. Ashwin, what is Curtis Jones? To me, he seems not just a ball player. He seems like um, better than, for example, Eugenio Wijnaldum in his ability around the box to make those late runs. Like what? I guess for those who aren't familiar with Liverpool, who mm. what player would you most sort of compare him to? Like a like a world class player? I don't know. Um, okay, a, a world class version of him would be someone like um, like David, it could be. David do you Silver. see some Gerard in here? David Silva. Yeah, that would be if he were like world class, and that's what he has the capacity to become. He's not not David Silva now, but I mean in terms of similar similar link up ability, comfort on the ball, ability to find gaps in midfield. Um, he's 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 like Gerard and Lampard in the sense that he can play across the midfield. He's versatile. He's not too bad defensively, but he's more intricate than they were. If you think about it, like they had beautiful touches on the ball, but they're very mercurial. As I've used that word like five times in this pod already, they. I'll use another word. They're very aggressive. Um, they're they really good at like making tough runs, just being like physically strong, putting hard tackles in. He's not Jones that kind more of deft. Yeah, yeah, he's more deft. He's far more like I don't want to say like Latin in his kind of playing style, which is why I say silver. Like he's happy to make those deft touches, those flicks, those tricks, which you wouldn't really see Gerard and Lampard do. They're far more English, I guess, in their manner. They wouldn't you wouldn't ever see them really doing like a flick or a or like loads of like step overs or whatever but you can imagine Curtis Jones doing that um and the fact he's so young and is progressing so quickly is really encouraging for Liverpool Klopp told him basically to get a grip um between these last two games and just take control and just do what you want to do in the middle of the park and Thiago and Wijnaldum ended up supporting him and he just ran the show he made runs into the box he received the ball at the edge of the box distributed it ran back it was a really 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 encouraging display from someone so young um I'd also describe him as um, a player that can potentially in the future play across the front three as well um, and in more attacking role um, as in he's got the ability on the ball and the good vision to make those runs that you need to be a good forward looking player but I think his future definitely lies in the centre of midfield Yeah. Do you see any Adam, similarities with Grealish? Um, I think Grealish is like more athletic and there's just more raw athletic ability like Grealish you eat he he looks like he can run. He looks like he could be an athlete, like run track. Um, and Grealish looks like you know he he could he lifts and he goes to the gym. That might just be because Jones is like really young still. I think he's younger than us. I think he's like twenty twenty one. Um, so maybe he needs to like go to the gym and become like Grealish. But at the moment 
he's much more deft, much more slight. Um, you know, whereas Grealish is just just a, a beast. But again, that might be down to age. Also, I think Grealish is more pro- proficient on the wings uh, than Jones is. Jones pre- prefers to play much more centrally, linking up. That's why David Silva, I say, you know, linking up the play centrally, finding those pockets of space. Whereas Grealish is much more, uh, he has much more ability to run at people down the down yeah. either side, you know. Yeah, I say Gre- Grealish's ball carrying ability separates him from a lot of players in the Premier League. Um, Callum, do you, do you think it's too early for England this summer, Euro 2020, to include Callum Jones? Uh, Curtis Jones. Um, I think... Sorry. <laughs> I, I don't think he's... I think, like as Bobby was saying, I think he's kind of too similar to other players we have and he's not quite as good as they are. And I think it would be a bit brave to throw him in because obviously I don't think he's played for England really yet in any like, big games. So I think... We have no other Latin players in England. <laughs> I, th- I think you'd. I'd rather have like a Grealish or even like Mason Mount. I think, but I think it's one of those where if you could like put him in there for like the experience, you would. But mm. I don't think he'd make the team. You don't Especially... seem a sort of a surprise inclusion, maybe. Well, yeah, potentially, but it's if Southgate. He... It's Southgate, isn't it? So he doesn't yeah. fit the system anyway. But I, I think in the next sort of four or five years, definitely he's going to be in the setup yeah. and, and getting caps. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um. On to Leicester v Arsenal. Uh, this is, I, I guess, this is kind of a shock. Um, Arsenal getting a three-one win at the King Power. Um, very impressive performance from them, wasn't it, Ashwin? Uh, just a word. Willian got an assist in this game. He's had two goal involvements since the opening day of the season. He's been quite bad, um, but you know, he was okay in this game, and Arsenal, despite resting, like, I think, Saka and Aubameyang, they still were very impressive. Yeah, um, Arsenal making, you know, leaps and bounds, coming forward le- leaps and bounds. Um, I think one of the, the least served stories this season has been Leicester's own injury crisis. Liverpool have taken the headlines in that regard, um, and that, that really showed up in this match. You could see the mounting absentees um, made Leicester play in, in a the performances were just far inferior to what you'd expect if they had all the players on the pitch. Um, and Arsenal capitalised on that. They did what they needed to do. I think there was a bit of VAR controversy as well, but I don't really think it's worth getting into it. Um, but either way, I think on balance, Arsenal definitely deserved to win. Um, it, it, Arsenal seem to be making some improvements. and they, they have players that are good on paper. People like Tierney and Saka and Aubameyang. And, you know... They've underperformed, whether it's through their own failure or through the systemic failure, throughout the early part of this season. Um, but now they really do seem to be picking up and getting some momentum back. And I think they, they might make a Europa League spot. I don't know. Um, they're, they're more in the running than they were, especially if Leicester tail off now due to these injuries, and especially if someone like Villa or West Ham fall away. I'm not saying they will. Certainly West Ham look really good. But if they fall away, then Arsenal are you know, there. And they can take this momentum forward. Um, they're they're it, only six points off of Liverpool. Yeah, six. no, exactly, exactly. And um, I think actually, you know, second to eighth or ninth is still very, very tight. I think Liverpool themselves are only seven off second now, or something like that. Um, and then if you say like there's yeah. seven, there's like thirteen points between like second and and like ninth. That's not very much at all. Um, that's like half the league nearly. So it's very tight in and around there. And I couldn't tell you now who'd come in the top four or top six. But Arsenal slowly, slowly crawling back. And it, they're, they're um, you know, 
almost going unnoticed, if you can imagine a club that big going unnoticed. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up the sort of Leicester's injury prices. I mean, they've been, they have like nine injuries at the moment. Harvey Barnes, the latest casualty, and Harvey Barnes has been fantastic. I mean, it's, it's really unbelievable, Callum, that Leicester are, are in third place. Um, and they've done a, a great job. Did you see the um, the article that Sky Sports posted about um, sort of the relative injury tables of the players in the league? What I thought was most interesting was the number of um, days missed by um, was it minutes missed by Liv- uh, by injury uh, per club? And yeah, I think yeah. Liverpool are at the very top of that list. They've they've missed uh, combined something like one thousand. Days yeah. or something. Yeah, and then like Crystal Palace in the next with like eight hundred and fifty. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I think it's it's like kind of it's such a difficult bit of like data to like really like get your teeth into because there's so many like complicated factors. Like, is it a fringe player? Is it like your main centre back? Like, obviously Leicester have had some big injuries this season as well. Like, it's easy to like as a Liverpool fan, I can think of like Van Dijk and then Fabinho. And like all big players and Jota, who all like important players for the team who've missed games. Um, but then also you think Leicester have also had some like huge injuries. Like they have spent ages with like their top two centre backs out, I think. And exactly, yeah. It's very difficult. And like Crystal Palace as well. They've had like injuries, but I think Zaha's mostly been fit, so I think they've kind of been okay. Yeah, I think so just to clarify, this stat is to do with days lost from players with injuries and illness this season. Um, so obviously, as you said, Callum, it doesn't take into account sort of the quality of the player that's been out. Um, I, from from a Leicester point of view, as you said, they've they've missed Chagas Sonchu and Johnny Evans for large parts of the season, and it's Wesley Fofana uh, who's really stepped up and become a, a mainstay at Leicester. Um, obviously, like Justin Castagna, Pereira, they've all the fullbacks have all been out for parts of the season. Um, the, the weak link for me personally in this Leicester side is Kelechi and Hinacho, who I don't think is really showing the quality that is required of a top four side. And he's not really taking the chances when he's getting them. Um, but I think Leicester have really shown that they have great strength and depth. And I think this is the first game where they've really struggled. Um, and I think the Harvey Barnes injury, as I said before, might hurt them in the future. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Boti, what, what do you think of this um, this stat in the same article talking about the link between like rotating your team and injuries? It, I mean, it stands to reason that, that I guess the more you rotate from game to game, the less injuries you're likely to have. But it's quite, I don't know, it's quite interesting that, um, first of all, Liverpool have had disproportionately more injuries, so you'd say that's just luck, isn't it? But also, like, if you look at the teams throughout that line, Leeds are the of that team that doesn't rotate at all and gets those injuries. Are you surprised by that? I mean, it, it's a fascinating table, and I urge everyone to go look at it. It's uh, it's interesting. There's lot, lots of lots of data to analyse, lots of potential conclusions to draw. Um, Liverpool clearly is, the, you know, the furthest away from the trend line that seems to be drawn in the table. Um, so... Uh, you know they 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 are unlucky. We I suppose we have to conclude from that that they are they have been unlucky. Um, it would be it um. You know I can't see how many since since when since when has this been recorded? What was the first date? Has this well, been this, this, this season? All competitions this season. 
Right, because what would be interesting for me, if we could have this over the past two or three years, a bigger data set, because I'm entirely sure that Liverpool would be with fewer rotations and you could see more. I think there it would be more attributable to having played the same team with the Gagan press for so long. And, you know, after two two phenomenal years, I mean, really, you know, groundbreaking years, um, it's uh, entirely understandable why that happens. Ash Go putting on. up three because it's it has been three years, admittedly. Yes. <laughs> My apologies, Ash, three years. Um, w- with Leeds, it would also be interesting to see, you know, those additional fixtures they had in the championship. Um, I mean, it's... It's there. We can we can talk about this for hours. There's so much going on on this graph. This step up in intensity, and their just body's not used to it. Yeah, possibly. They, 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 they're below. They're below the trend line, so they're this. actually doing better than they should be. Yeah, because the thing about Liverpool is, as you say, the the same eleven in playing in a very aggressive way for three years, very high tempo, and lots of games as well. Because we stayed in competitions for a long time, so it was like a lot of games per season. Um, like last season, we were in the Club World Cup as well. So that's a lot of games. Um, and people get injured. Um, and we haven't really replaced much of the squad at all for like three or four years. We had the 2018 window when Fabinho, Alisson and Cater came in from memory. And since then, we've not had any wholesale changes at all. The whole first 11s pretty much remain the same. Um, and that's, that's kind of what you expect. I think in terms of the Sky table of injuries, Sky Sports table, what might have been an interesting stat to do would be um, minutes lost by injured starters from last season. Because then that can reflect, you know, the quality yeah. of... That can reflect the quality of player yeah, injured. What Cannon was saying, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that can reflect the quality of player injured. So if you lose your third centre-back, but your favourite pair are fine for that whole duration. I mean, you won't notice, will you? Um, but then, it, you know, if, when you start losing frontline players, you know, that becomes more harmful to you. Um, and it, you, you can't compare, not all, it's not, not nice to say, but not all players are worth the same as they're shown by pay, pay discrepancy and transfer costs or whatever. So if, if you injure your star player, it's obviously going to impact you more than if you impact somebody who's been on the bench. Um, and that, that can be reflected in, in another stat. Uh, that someone could, that I'm sure someone will make eventually. Yeah, and I think it's also discounts illnesses as well, which is COVID related, which Liverpool had a lot of. And you know, who can you blame for that? I mean, Salah, you blame Salah because he went to his brother's wedding. Can't yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that one, but nice of pointing that out. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also worth pointing out that like the rotation is measured by like changes. So if you have one player, if you have like two players, you just swap every game that counts as one rotation. Uh, but that's the same as having, like, three players you swap every game, if that makes sense. That didn't make sense. Did it make sense? No, I think I, think I got what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, think I, I think, yeah, linked to that sort of... There's kind of like a chicken-and-egg situation going on here in that if you get injuries, you have to rotate more. So that kind of creates... You, a you, have, you have to rotate less. So uh, what I mean is, um, if 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 for example in this game Harvey Barnes he got injured, he's not going to start the next game, is he? But he might oh, start yeah. the game after that. Yeah, but um, also if you have like twenty players who you're prepared to rotate and five of them are injured, true, true. you can't change them as much as well. So it kind of goes both ways. What we're saying is out. all statistics are pointless, and this whole ten minutes suge- uh, section <laughs> has been a waste of time. Yeah, maybe we should just cut it out. <laughs> we might do. If you're hearing this now. 
our editor was was too was too busy. <laughs> no, anyway, our last Premier League game that we're going to cover: Everton v Southampton. Um, Everton won one nil. Ancelotti was really happy with this performance. He said after the game, in kind of an interesting wording, he said he wants Everton to experience the feeling of touching the top four, which <laughs> I think is quite. It's, it's like the, weird. It's like with the um, Louis van Gaal sadomasochism. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just touch it. Just touch. It's like when you bring your kid to the right, and then you take him to the sweets aisle, and he goes, "You, you can touch it, but you can't have it." Um, but it, it is true, to be honest, because uh, Callum, I know you'll hate to hate for me to recount this, but if Everton win their game in hand against West Bromwich Albion on Thursday. They will leapfrog Liverpool, Chelsea, and West Ham into fourth place, which is quite astonishing, to be honest. Yeah, I do hate you telling me that, Lawrence. <laughs> I mean, um, they yeah, probably I... will beat West Brom, so yeah, yeah, you would expect. I think they've they've been quite a good team this season. I think they've they've kind of been at the level where they've always been like a little bit below getting noticed, and yeah. then like everyone's kind of faltered recently, and so now they're like getting the kind of the attention they deserve for the entire time, and. That might not be a good thing, or it might be a good thing for the rest of their season. I don't know. Yeah, and Richarlison has hit a little bit of a run, run in form. You know, he scored against Liverpool, um, and he scored in this game as well, and that's really helpful because we kind of saw Everton as a one-man team in in that Dominic Calvert-Lewin was so good, but at least you know he's got he's clearly got some support from Richarlison, um, so that's very impressive for them. Southampton, on the other hand, I'm pretty sure they were, they were leading the league table like sometime just before Christmas, and now they're only seven points above the drop zone, which is very worrying for them. Um, yeah, this is a slide that that really needs to get sorted soon. Yeah, I think they've recently been like absolutely shafted with their injuries. Mm, yeah, um, they've missed obviously Minamino, um, who who started well but then got injured, which is. Uh, Nice use of the word shafted, by the way. Anyway, on to Spain. Um, That's top swearing, Glenn. Well done. <laughs> That's great banter. Um, on, on to Spain, Boti. Uh, news coming out on I Monday. Catalonia, Lawrence. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. News coming out of, yeah, Catalonia. Um, police raiding Barcelona Camp Nou offices and ex-president Joseph Bartomeu spent the night in jail. Just what is going on at this shit show of a club? He didn't choose the thug life. The thug life chose him. Oh yeah. yeah. Do, do you know it's not it's not even surprising anymore. That's what's shocking about this is just every two weeks or every every couple of weeks, once at least every month, there's just something something like this that since um since maybe July last year that's been coming out. Um, okay, so let's give it let's give a quick rundown. Uh, at around midday. In Barcelona, the Mossos de Squadra, which is the the Catalan police, the financial crimes unit raided Barcelona offices where they arrested four Barcelona members and well, and Bartomeu's house, which was Bartomeu, Oscar Grau, who was the current chief executive, uh, Jaume Masferrer, who who was an advisor to Bartomeu, and Gomez Ponti, who is the current uh, director of legal services. So. Um, I think it's worrying for Barcelona because two of these four guys, um, they you know they didn't actually spend nights in prison, but two of them are like high-ranking um, current members of the club, um, you know, and that there's there's all co- kinds of other worrying facts about uh, this raid is that uh, 
in, in connection to this case, the compliance officer resigned um, a few months back. So clearly a lot of high-ranking officials throughout the club were involved in the so-called Barsagate scandal. Yeah, now, just the, the to clear everyone what, what, what happened. Yeah. Now, the Barsagate scandal, which we, we did actually touch, touch on in the pod back in late August, I think it was, when the news surfaced. Um, it, it's alleged that Bartimeo and, and various others at the club were paying um, a social media company called 13 Ventures um, to discredit or so-called in uh, Reddit speak to troll uh, you know, uh, some high, some some players like Lionel Messi, Gerard Piquet, or basically anybody at the club who was critical of Bartomeu and the leadership um, for their own purposes. Um, so just to know, clarify, absolute mess. Barcelona were paying a social media company to try and discredit their own players and staff. Yeah, allegedly. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it's it's crazy, isn't it? It's it's it. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to believe. But this is supposedly what was going on. Now, the evidence for this discovered by discovered by um, those, those uh, journalists and information we have at the moment seems to suggest that um, it was happening um, via a series of contracts under two hundred thousand euros. The reason it was they were under two hundred thousand euros was because this way they avoided scrutiny by the financial um, scrutinizers at Barcelona. So contracts under two hundred thousand would would be easier to sign, they'd go straight out. And um, an audit by Deloitte found that they, the, these payments um, were excessive. They were clearly priced above market value, like obviously so, and um, it wasn't really clear what they were getting in return. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not the judge of the case, but it, it's suspicious, or sus, as we would say. <laughs> Very and, sus. We have two imposters among us, Bartomeu <laughs> and his advisor. I'm, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure we have more. Um, I mean, the whole club needs an overhaul, but I'll, I'll get back into that again in uh, just in like a minute. In among but, us terms, it's just a it's just nuclear meltdown after nuclear meltdown. Yeah, except like, the game should have ended. Because we're all choking in like, space, but somehow it's yeah. still going on. Both you asking for an overhaul is like the arrow is telling you to go to the reactor. <laughs> <laughs> so you know okay all i'm going to say about this absolute mess we'll see what happens but you know internationally news internationally some other corruption cases like the ex-president of france sarkozy going down it's probably what you can expect to see with Bartomeu soon um now interestingly how this affects the club going forwards uh it's it's obviously a big week for barcelona because the presidential elections are this weekend now, the, the three candidates, uh, Anthony Freixa, Victor Font, and Joan Laporta, um, we'll see who wins. I'm, I'm predicting it's going to be Laporta. I want Laporta to win. Um, he was quite vocally anti-Bartimeu, and I, I like some of his policies, which I, I spoke about last week. So he wants to he wants to rid Barca of the French contingent, which includes Umtiti, Dembele, and Griezmann, because they just haven't performed. We've paid ridiculous amounts for them. Um and you know he issued a it's, statement it's not saying they're French. that would that would be pretty bad. No, of course not. Um, <laughs> you know, notice how I didn't mention Langley because I'm still I, I calmed down about him. I'm willing to give him another chance. <laughs> but uh, you know, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens against Sevilla tomorrow night, where we need to bring back a two 0 deficit in the Copa del Rey at home to go through. We did beat them on the weekend two 0 away, so you know we could do that again, and then maybe score another in extra time would be nice. Um, 
yeah we'll see what happens i think uh to summarize it as laporta says it's shocking it's very sad it goes against the whole ethos of Barca. you know the more than more than just a club this is supposed to be a family you know very very ethical very moral as ashram pointed out of the unicef stuff um it's it's kind of heartbreaking, but before I break into tears, I'm gonna hand back over to you, Lawrence. Yeah, uh, just to finish up, you know, Laporta said um, obviously the arrest of Bartomeu would cause an enormous harm to the image of their club. Uh, beyond you know the the crass and awkward joke that I made in the introduction, it is obviously quite a sad time when the president of like the ex president of such a big club gets arrested for such sort of nefarious alleged offences. Um, moving on to the Spanish, the, the football in Spain, it is, as you said, it's a big weekend in the Liga. Um, Atleti, the lead leaders, they've, they've struggled recently. They they dropped points twice against Levante in three days and um, they play Real Madrid, which will be a huge match for the title race. Boti? Yeah, so Atleti sliding down... Um... And I think now, um, I think it's five points ahead of Barca, six ahead of Madrid, because Real Madrid also dropped points at a 1-1 draw with Real Sociedad, where in classic uh, Real fashion, they waited till the 89th minute to to get a, a goal through Vinicius. Um, you know, Sociedad played very well, so I feel a bit sorry for them. Um, I, I think, you know, just... Just knowing how Real Madrid are in these big games, I think Real Madrid will win this, which is, which is kind of scary because um, I'd much rather Atletico win the league than Real, and I don't have faith in Barcelona to catch up to both of them. Well, I mean, but if Real do win, it will blow the title race wide open, won't it? Exactly, exactly. I mean, it'll, it'll be very exciting, I have to say. Um, but still... You know, Barcelona, even when they find form, they have one horrible game and it just makes you feel like, you know, back to square one. Mm. Um, and we, we have we have to face PSG again soon, which will be soul crushing. I can already feel it. So, um, yeah, um, I think, yeah, I think that's, that's more or less it. Some some other scores, Real Betis have been doing very, very, very well. I think it's worth pointing out in 2021. They beat Cadiz 1-0 this weekend. You know, uh, I think they, they own, the only game they lost in 2021 was against Barcelona, which is 3-2, if I recall correctly. Um, in other news, I I think that that's that's all that's all the exciting news from from La Liga. Mm. Um. Thank you, thank you, Boti. This this is what you're on for the, the Spanish news, even if it hurts you to talk about it. Um, just uh, finally, before well, the Champions League is next week, and we will be previewing and reviewing that. But before we finish today's pod, there is some, I guess, I guess, kind of political slash football news. Um, Boris Johnson coming out quite vocally um, about England's uh, sort of hosting Euro 20. He says that they are down to host more. Euro 2020 games and they've agreed. Obviously, Wembley's already hosting, I think, uh, group stage, semi-final and final, but Bojo wants more. And Ashwin, I know you're quite passionate about this one. Um, there's a bid. They're pledging around £3 million to, uh, towards uh, bidding to host the 2030 World Cup. This will be a UK and Ireland joint bid. Yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you think of this? Well, firstly, the Euro 2020 stuff, which I think is quite weird, but also the 2013 2030 bid. 
Yeah, the Euro 2020 issue was always going to be hard um, in COVID, crossing borders and stuff. So um, I think England has a chance just because of the availability of stadiums, good infrastructure, hotel space, a vaccinated population, a capacity to probably have fans before most European countries. You know, we've seen the really shocking levels of vaccination in the EU over the last week or so with the massive stockpiles of the AstraZeneca vaccine um, just sitting there, even though it's actually shown to be more effective than the more expensive Pfizer one in the last week as well, to the extent that EU countries are reversing their their policy on AstraZeneca for over 65s, um, for countries like France and Germany. And my point from that is that Britain will be one of the only like majorly vaccinated countries by the time the summer comes around. And in that situation, they'll probably be one of the first countries to have fans in stadiums, um, along with having enough stadiums to host the thing. So I think it's a definitely a, a good chance that that happens. Um, and then in terms of the bid for 2030, yeah, I mean, I wanted England to win last time for the 2018 World Cup, but I think they, or was it 2022? Either way, they lost. It was like David Cameron and David Beckham, a bit of a tragic bid. But I wanted them to win that and it, it didn't work. But yeah, I mean, again, I'll back them, obviously, back the UK and Irish bid for that. Um, do I think um, that they will win? Uh, probably not, because Argentina's been talking about how Uruguay and Argentina want to host it for the centenary, because I think that was where the first World Cup was held in 1930, and Uruguay were the first winners, I think, from memory as well. Yep. So um, that would that would make sense. But then again, Argent also said that Argentina's stadiums are in haven't been updated since 1978, are in a, are, and are in massive disrepair. So. Um, will Maybe they, put they the can get the Qatari in? builders in. Yeah, will they? Will the <laughs> will they put the investment in? Will they pay the money needed? Because Britain, as four nations, has the capacity for instantly enough stadiums that are already you know good enough with good enough roads and hotels and everything and training facilities for each stadium. You know, it's all there. So that that's really attractive. Um, if Argentina can sort out their stadiums, you know, it's ten years away still. Uh, nine years away. If they can sort out all their stadiums, like it should be fine. But um, I really support the, the British bid because I think it will make our uh, national teams perform well. Yeah, I, I was thinking to myself, you know, 2030, we could do like a whole pod trip around the UK, you know, going to... And then I realised... And then I realised I would be 32. <laughs> <laughs> um, 2030, 11 though. Like, which players would never... be there? Because these always turn out really weirdly. Oh, that's the... true. We should do that. Yeah, because these always turn out really weirdly. I saw someone do a, an England eleven for like 2015. They did it in like 2007. And the only person there that was remotely relevant in 2015 was Theo Walcott. Yeah. So, so like, it's always interesting when you do these. So, like, I think we could have someone like Curtis Jones would probably be in there, Phil Foden, maybe Joe really? Gomez. But 10 years is a long time. You could have someone come in five years' time and be completely established by 10 years' yeah. time. So, you know, that's a long time, but it's always interesting. We can look back on it. You know, I, I think you could have, obviously, Jones, Trent, Gomez, Foden. Those are names that jump out. Um, you know, I, maybe they won't even be there. Who knows? But yeah, that's an interesting exercise. That's quite dark. Well, all I'm going to say about this, it's never too late to crack open a cold on with the boys. <laughs> <laughs> even 10 years later. But, you know, if this, if this pod is still going on in 10 years... Well, bloody hell. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, let, let's, let's end it there. Um, thank
Thank you guys for joining me. Thank you guys for listening. Goodbye, Ashwin Wallach. Bye. Goodbye, Cannon Fondon. Goodbye, Lawrence. See you next time, Boton Penta. Thanks, guys. Nice to be on. Becker on podcast. See you guys. <laughs>